Well, good morning again. I love 11 o'clock because I can pretty much just talk as long as I need to, so I hope you don't have plans. And let me get this out of the way. Congratulations to Alabama for making it into the stupid championship again. And where's the Clemson people? Are the Morels here? The Tigers are there again. So obnoxious. Now, my wife is from Alabama, and so don't tell her that I had that kind of attitude when I said thanks. But it's pretty obnoxious. Like, yeah. But I was watching and rooting last night, and I was really glad Notre Dame lost. I don't know why I have such a disdain for Notre Dame, but anytime they get beat is fine with me. So if you like Notre Dame, I'm sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> oh, Gators, that, uh, who, who doesn't like to see Michigan get beat? I love seeing Michigan get beat, too. Now, let, I'm a USF guy. I'm wearing, I'm supporting. We lost. We were horrible. The first team in NCAA history to win seven games in a row and lose six games in a row in the same season. So we're making history, baby. Making history. Go Bulls. Unbelievable. I think it's fair to say that the list of things that make us uncomfortable is longer and or easier to create than the list of things that make us comfortable. As I think about this holiday season, and I remember looking at people's pictures of fuzzy sock season, or cozy blankets, or sitting by a fire with the AC on, of course, or baking cookies, or eating cookies, or, or shopping online, or having family Christmas dinner at somebody else's house. Those are things that I think we would say make us comfortable this time of year. And so dare we even list some of the things that make us uncomfortable over the holidays. And for some reason, while I was writing this, something that was fresh in my mind was this idea of something that made me feel uncomfortable over the holidays, which are lock-ins. Um, and of course, I'm kidding, but uh, even though they're not for everyone, the adults that make them happen, the, the ones that endure some discomfort because we know the joy it brings to our students is worth all the sleeplessness and discomfort. And then you couple that with the joy, a couple that joy with the fact that parents probably end up with a 20-hour break. So parents, listen, if you didn't send your kids to the lock-in, you realize you missed out on 20 hours of free babysitting. So keep that in mind next time. I heard a woo-woo because I know that your kid was here. So yes, keep that in mind. You drop them off at 8 o'clock at night on Friday, you may go have dinner with your spouse. You may just go home and sit in the peace and quiet, and then guess what? The next morning, you got to get up and pick them up by 8, but that's okay because we usually have breakfast left over. But then you take them home, and they sleep for 8 hours. <laughs> quiet. 20 hours. When's the last time you had that for free? Everybody wins just because a few chose to be uncomfortable. And the Gaga Ball Pit, if you don't know what Gaga Ball is, that's our Gaga Ball Pit. We built it several years ago. Um, it's like dodgeball, but it happens inside of a ring. It's also called Octoball. It actually has no connection to the singer, so don't feel like you have to get in there and sing like Lady Gaga in order to play. I don't know, I don't know where the name came from, but it's not here still because I was too lazy or too tired to put it up after the lock-in. It is actually part of our message uh, uh, today, so um, I hope it being here doesn't make you too uncomfortable, because I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable by the end of our message today. Our scriptures today come from the book of Jonah, and it's a real short book, only four chapters. 
And my hope is that we will all find some enlightenment in the small collection of verses that we're going to read today. And I do encourage you, at any time that's convenient for you this week, to read all four chapters from the beginning to the end, all in one sitting. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, the thought of sitting down and opening the Bible and reading it, we've we got a long way to go today. So I challenge you to do that. It's only four chapters. It's super simple. So if I said to the group that's here today, who wants to have a Gaga Ball tournament right now? Can I get a show of hands of people? Okay, I see the youth around there. I see some adults. Okay, more than the first service. That's pretty good. Now I have to believe that we would all fall into one of three categories. You, you might be in the I've never heard of Gaga Ball before category, except for what I just explained. You might be in the I think my kids play that at youth group, but there's no way I'm going to do that group. And then you're... The rest of you, maybe the ones that raise your hands, are in the let's see what you got, old man group. Because the kids are relentless when it comes to Gaga Ball. I guess maybe I am too. I want to win. And so at best, this, this idea of a Gaga Ball tournament right now is comfortable for some of us, while at the exact same time, it's uncomfortable for many of the others of us. I'm going to read to you um, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, not I, I would love to say that they were on the screen, but uh, I allow the Holy Spirit to use all the time I have available in prepping the message to maybe change what I was going to talk about. That sounds, like the, that sounds like the nice thing. I think he's falling out. We need some oxygen. Uh, the truth is, the truth is, about 7.45 this morning is when the Spirit was said, okay, now you can finish it. So I was like, thanks, that's pretty cool. I was a little sleepy after the lock-in Friday night. And uh, I needed the full allotment of time so the verses are not available. But since you're going to read it anyway this week, all this is going to sound familiar to you. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So God gives Jonah this clear mission. He's to tell the city of Nineveh that God is about to judge them for their wickedness. So is he in the I've never heard of Nineveh category? Is he in the I can't do that category? Or is he in the bring it on category? And and honestly, Jonah is, is funny and maybe a lot like us because he really plays both sides of this uncomfortable thing, which we'll see as the story plays itself out. So Jonah actually says, forget this, and he takes off in a completely different direction. He goes and gets on a boat bound for Tarshish, hoping to escape the mission that God gave him. And at this point in the story, he's 100% in the, I can't do that group. I'm not about to go to Nineveh and do this. I'm just going to run away from what God has asked me to do. Jonah does not want to be discomforted by going to Nineveh. And as we read further on in chapter 1, this is verses 15 through 17, from the NIV. It says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, so I'm going to break off from this a little bit. Trent said that he is his most favorite superhero. Is that what you said? So the best superhero ever in the entire, don't, don't spoil this, don't spoil this. The best superhero in the entire world ever is Aquaman. And I will, I will fight you if you think it's not. Because 
None of the students think Aquaman is cool at all. And I'll admit, Aquaman, when we grew up with on the cartoon, wasn't that much of a person to get behind. But Aquaman is the best superhero ever. So I've seen the movies. You haven't seen the movie. You've got to see the movie Aquaman. And I, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler. It's not going to ruin anything. First, he can breathe underwater. So sorry if you didn't know that. Aquaman can breathe underwater. Um, but the second thing is, is, is he uses a reference in the movie, and he got it a little bit wrong, but he, he did it to, just, to be, um, just to be funny. He references Pinocchio in, in the movie, and um, the truth is I know deep down, because we're connected, because he's my favorite superhero, that he really was talking about Jonah being swallowed by this big fish. So you're going to have to watch the movie so you get uh, a good idea of what I'm talking about. I haven't ruined anything, but you got to see it. Aquaman's the best superhero ever. Right? Yeah, okay. So if Jonah was really uncomfortable about going to Nineveh in the first place, he's really uncomfortable now that he's been thrown into the sea and been swallowed by a big fish. Talk about a plan backfiring. And this is the part of the story I think we're all familiar with, right? This is like maybe when you went to uh, Bible uh, Sunday school as a kid and you know, the teacher brought up that felt board, and you put the picture of the boat on there, and you put little Jonah on there, and you threw him out, and then he kind of floated around. And if you saw a cartoon, he was always happy, and then the fish came, and like he built like a campfire inside and hung out, and it was kind of cool. But the truth is, when we get done with this, you're not going to like Jonah at all, because he was really not somebody that we use as a positive example. I'll say it that way. We're going to use Jonah as an example of who not to be as God uses us. Jonah was not a very good person. But that's the part of the story we're familiar with. But there's something that I want us to not overlook. I'm going to read verse 16 again. It says, At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now these are the people on the boat who had just learned about Jonah's uh, idea to flee from God's mission uh, for him, and they end up believing in Jonah's God. Is it possible that in the uncomfortable things that we experience, that people can still experience God? I say yes. And, and this is not even the best lesson of the story, but it does bring to the surface this, this idea of a major issue that we might have with ourselves. Jonah runs from the mission that God gave him, and yet he still interacted with people. Now, how bad do you think he felt when he told this crew of people that he just met on this boat headed for Tarshish, like, oh, by the way, this storm is because of me, because I ran away from God, and just throw me over the sea, uh, throw me over the, over the side, and, uh, and everything will work itself out. They, they had to be feeling uh, uh, pretty uncomfortable uh, with Jonah uh, being on the boat still, right? Obviously, they threw him over, and it worked out for them. But the major issue that we have with God's idea of mission for us usually manifests itself in how we think we're going to affect somebody else. I know that's a lot to say. I'm going to say it again. Usually when we think about being on mission for God, we're caught up in how am I going to do something that's going to affect somebody else? How are the things I do? How are the things I say? What is the food I prepare? What is the nice things I say going to affect somebody else? We get caught up in this idea of mission being how we're going to affect somebody else. 
God, you don't really want me to be involved in dinner church with those people that I assume are going to be there, right? And if we think these types of thoughts, we need to be honest with ourselves and realize that just like Jonah, the most important reason God may be sending us on mission is to transform something in us. Oh, and in the process, he may just use that lesson to have an impact on somebody else. So back into the story of Jonah, he's out of the big fish now. I love the NIV, he says, and the fish vomited him onto the beach. And there he comes. That kind of sounds like screamo music, too. If you've ever listened to screamo music, they make sounds like that, um, which is exciting to me. So we're going to pick up chapter 3. Chapter 2 is funny. Um, you'll see when you read it this week, right? Uh, chapter 2 is all about Jonah's prayer to God. Like, he gets thrown in the sea, gets swallowed by the big fish, and chapter 2 is like, okay, yeah, maybe you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. If there's any way that you can get me out of this, I would appreciate it. My bad. I won't let it happen again. End of chapter 2. Then we get into chapter 3. Verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Thank you, God, for being so generous and giving Jonah a second chance. Verse 2 says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Again, nothing's changed in the call that God has put on Jonah's life. Verse 5 says, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, this is the, the city of Nineveh, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So we see, God may call us a second time to the same mission. But we can't hold our hope on that because he may not. But I do know this. He will continue to put things in our life to force us to make a choice. He's not going to make that choice for us. But he's going to put things in our lives that force us to make a choice. And all of these choices are going to be geared towards him further molding us into the people that he wants us to be. This time around, Jonah's a quick learner, and he did what God asked, and what do you know? It worked. The people of Nineveh repented. Maybe the lesson that, that Jonah learned inside the big fish helped him to see that this mission from God, the same one that helped Nineveh find God, may have also changed Jonah's attitude and how he dealt with others in the process. And I can't put a bigger laughing nope in this part of the story because I mean, I don't even know how to classify Jonah. I mean, God speaks to him, and he knows it's God. That's pretty awesome. But, but, but he doesn't listen to God because he thinks he's too comfortable with life and doesn't want to do what God says, so he runs away. And then God finds him, provides him some further discomfort being in the fish, and very quickly forces him to make another choice. And Jonah's like, oh, okay, thanks, God. Chapter 2, thanks, God, for giving me another chance. Now I'm ready. Send me to Nineveh. And we, we weren't going to read this scripture, but this is what happened. Nineveh's big, big city. And it takes like three days to get through the city. And Jonah's plan was to spend three days going through the city, telling them that God is going to bring their city to judgment in 40 days if they don't repent. And then he, his plans were to go find some place to sit and watch God's judgment on the city. I, I mean, I guess he went on StubHub and said, give me the best seat but not too expensive because I really don't want to be here. 
but I want to sit back and watch God's judgment on the city. Now, I got to imagine as he's walking through the city, he's probably not a very personable person either. He's probably holding a sign or he's probably just saying, God's going to destroy this place in 40 days if you don't repent. He's not taking time to figure out who the people are in the city of Nineveh. He's just going through the motions. Now, Jonah only gets one day deep into the city before they repented and believed. That's, that's pretty efficient. It's like two was pastor rating last night. It was disgusting. Jonah got too caught up in the, yeah, yeah, God, I went on the mission and did what you said, that he missed the repentance altogether. And Jonah gets upset. Chapter 4, verses 1, and then verse 4. Jonah had just, we just learned that they repented, and it's awesome. And Jonah, in verse 1 of chapter 4, says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And then in verse 4, the Lord replies to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry one day into the city? So we assume that he had another day to get back out of the city. Then we'll give him a day or so to find his place up on the mountain to watch Judgment Day. This means that Jonah was prepared to sit and watch for more than 35 days to see what God was going to do. Remember the message, repent or God will destroy this city in 40 days. Like hearing all this at once about Jonah, you understand why I don't think Jonah's a good dude at all. When he can't be, can he? Or are we careful to judge Jonah because sometimes we act like him too? Like it might be easy for us to say, well, but I don't do what that person does. So it's easier to cast some judgment on them. But when we find somebody that's kind of doing some of the same things that we do, we kind of don't want to talk about it. We kind of want to let it go because that means we might have to deal with something that's going on in our life as well. While Jonah is watching, see, God is so awesome. God actually has pity for Jonah despite his attitude about becoming angry. God shows him pity and makes a leafy plant grow next to where he's sitting to provide some shade for his head. That's very sweet. And Jonah thought that was pretty cool. But the next day, God made a worm to the plant so that it withered. And then God made the wind and scorching sun unbearable for Jonah, so much so that he said it would be better for him to die than to deal with the sun and the wind. Ungrateful and, and uncomfortable. The sun's hot. Now listen to the last few verses of Jonah chapter 4 before we shift gears. This is verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. What a jerk. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? God had more work to do on Jonah than the people of Nineveh. And, and this is like where Jonah ends. Like there's no like additional chapter. There's no further sentence. It literally ends with God saying this question to him. And, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? 
we really have no idea what Jonah decides to do with this last bit of teaching that God gives him. He freely accepted this blessing of this plant that was keeping his head from getting burned, even though he didn't do one thing to make it happen. He never even thanked God for it. He just assumed that it was his, and he took it for granted. But God forbid he take it away. Now Jonah felt entitled to that plant because he got accustomed to its shade. And then God flips this argument to get Jonah to think from the point of view of the people of Nineveh. These people were hurting, and there were a lot of them in the city. This was a big city. God loved them and needed them to hear some truth to get them to believe. They, the people of Nineveh, did not take God for granted. Instead, they repented and completely changed their lifestyle and were spared from God's judgment. And this really should have been something Jonah was happy about, but Jonah, for lack of a better phrase, ain't got time for that. From the very beginning in Jonah's explanation to God of why he ran away was Jonah's understanding of God's mercy. Like, Jonah, you're killing me. Listen, listen to this. This is Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, but, but he's, he's remembering his thoughts from way back in chapter 1 of why he ran away. He prayed to the Lord. Okay, so he prayed. That's good. Check Checkbox. He prayed to the Lord, and then the checkbox is ruined in his next words. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then we have the verse we read before. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah knew all along that God was capable of loving and forgiving and showing compassion for Nineveh, which is why he didn't want to go in the first place. And at this point, God has is, is got to be near the end of his patience with Jonah. I feel like God would be shouting at, the point, uh, shouting at this point to Jonah, Jonah, you were the mission. It wasn't the people of Nineveh who needed you. It was you who needed me. You were the mission, Jonah. The we who call ourselves Christian, who by definition are supposed to show Christ's love to others, are often the first mission. We have things about us that need to be changed, that need to be refined, that need to be removed before we can get to the next step of God's mission for us. We are the first mission, and for good reason. Can you, can you imagine Jonah showing compassion to anyone in Nineveh? I can't, I can't even picture it. He's too caught up in the, why is God making me go do this, to see the souls that were depending on him to tell them about who God is. And this is such a delicate gift that we're given when God calls us into mission work. I had some pastoral counsel before the message, and my original uh, idea to make you feel uncomfortable which changed to Gaga Ball, was going to be, I was going to say, hey, who wants to have a bodybuilding contest right now in church? And Lee Martin was here at 9.30 in the morning. He's like, I got you, brother. I'm ready. I knew he would say that. But that's what I thought. Let me, let me just like make people feel really uncomfortable. But I wanted to ask people to come up on stage, flex the, for the crowd, and then be judged for it. But fortunately, God said, why don't you just leave Gaga Ball up and, and not do that other thing? I said, okay. But I bet 
people would nervously be sitting there thinking several things. Like maybe you find yourself in this category. I don't even lift, bro. I'm not going to I'm not going to come do a, a bodybuilding contest. Or maybe you're in this this one. I I go to the gym, but I could never do that. I could never flex in front of the people at the church. That's weird. And then Lee's in this category for sure. Maybe some of you are in this category. Let me show you what I got, old man. See, sometimes the things we ask people to do are comfortable to us, but uncomfortable to them. When our thoughts on mission get focused on the work, it tends to cause us to lose focus in other areas. Jonah was so focused on what he thought was the useless task of telling the city to repent that he never saw the people being affected. And we know now that God's mission was Jonah first. It had to be. And our hope is that any further undocumented stories where God used Jonah were for the people that he was sent to. We'll have to ask him that. Write that down. I have to ask Jonah that when we get to heaven. So did God give you another chance or was this it? Now in Jonah's case, he was sent to the people and we, Grace, have the chance to be sent to the people in some existing ways and in some new ways starting very soon. I cannot wait to see this church being the church, the people to so many others. I think we're going to do some amazing things with God's help. And yes, many people will be put into uncomfortable situations in these mission opportunities. And our teams are going to be made up of a few different groups of people. There's going to be people in the, I've never done this before group. And that's okay because somebody that's in that group with you is going to come alongside of you and help you see your part in the mission that God has called you to. Some of you are going to find yourselves in that. I know others who have done dinner church, but there's no way I can do that. Like, I burn water. Oh, that was a joke, burn water. Is that still, that's still not, it's not a thing? All right. Make a note, I'm going to take that out. It's okay if you've never done dinner church before because somebody is going to help you figure out your part in the mission that God has called you to. And the biggest joy I have is that I know there's going to be people on that team that are going to say, let me show you what I got. And I really believe we're setting ourselves up for an amazing year, and there are a couple things I want to leave you with as we look forward to the new year. First, consider where you are in Jonah's story. Are you him? Do you need your attitude or your approach to other people to be reconfigured for optimum performance? Please just don't get on a boat to Tarshish. Instead, believe that God knows what he's doing with you. And now that you've seen this entire picture of Jonah, understand that you may be God's mission as you get called to Pinecrest or serving in the praise band or, or being a part of dinner church or being involved in children's ministry or being at Ministry of Hope or learning to play gaga ball with our youth. We may be God's first mission. And that really is a beautiful thing. Second, consider the people of Nineveh. They were willing to hear what Jonah was saying and led them to hear what God was saying to them. I feel like the people of Nineveh will show themselves to us in at least two ways. The first, very much like in Jonah's book, will be the people God sends us out to. We will absolutely meet new people if we agree to be in mission with God. And we need to understand that we, that, let me get this right, we need to understand that they may feel like we're walking into their space saying things like, let's play Gaga Ball, or who wants to have a flex contest? 
And while there may be some that say, bring it on, the likelihood of us finding people in what is that or the I can't do that category is much greater. We have to be sensitive to how God loves them and know that he ultimately wants us to love them too. We have to be concerned about the uncomfortableness that we are going to bring because of who we are. He wants us to love them, not judge them, love them. Nowhere in in God's call to Jonah did he say, please treat them harshly, or I need them to feel my anger through you towards them. No, not one bit. God is the judge, and he surely does not ever need us to judge others. He asks us to love them like Jesus taught, and God will take care of the rest. Now, this gets us to the part in the story that's a bit different for us than Jonah, is that he was sent to the people that God needed to get the message to, and they did get the message despite Jonah's obvious resentment and attitude issues. So what happens when God sends people to us? How do you think we're supposed to treat them using the basis of the story of Jonah? Do you think God wants us to judge the people he sends to us? No, absolutely not. Do you think he wants us to love the people he sends us like Jesus taught? Yes, absolutely. Those are easy questions. Thinking from the context of the church, our church, Grace Community, how do we make people feel that God sends our way? Now, just by the nature of who we are, we probably do things to people he sends to us that don't seem weird to us, but to them sounds like, do you want to play gaga ball? We probably assume some things about the people he sends to us that we take for granted. Surely they know that we sing and we pray and we take communion and we give and have flex contests in church. We must be careful about how we care for the people that God sends our way. We must be concerned about the people and not the process. And when we do, we just might see that God is working on things in ourselves too. We are all in need of some reconfiguration by God, and he surely does not want us to carry around Jonah's attitude. So let's make sure we do something about it. I want to invite the band to to come up as I close out here. We are going to be uncomfortable. When God is changing us, it will be uncomfortable. When When he calls us to mission, we will do some things that are uncomfortable. When he sends us people, God, I can't believe I'm getting emotional. I must be tired. When he sends us people to care for, we cannot allow them to feel uncomfortable because we know God does not want them to feel that way. I listen to a lot of screamo. I listen to a lot of hip-hop. And this is one of my favorite guys. His name's KB. He's a hip-hop artist. He's also a Christian. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here. You you are, mm, it's possible that you can hear this through a political filter, And that's not the point of why I'm bringing it up to you. I'm begging you to hear these words from a Christian point of view. He says, yes, I love my kingdom, talking about God's kingdom, the greater kingdom, God's kingdom. Yes, I love my kingdom more than I love my country. And in this case, country really could be replaced with church or religion or my devices or the things I think highly of about myself. After this message, I hear this verse a little differently now. I I hear him say, yes, I love my kingdom more than I love my comfort. And the second line says, yes, I love my neighbor more than I love his papers. Do we only love people because they look like us? 
because they live amongst us, because they share the same everything as we do? Or do we simply love each and every person that God allows us to come in contact with? I love KB's use of the word neighbor here. It makes me think about the story of the Good Samaritan. That, that, that story was taught to this religious leader who thought he had it all. God, what do I do to get inherent, uh, inherit eternal life? And he says, well, love God and love others. I've, I've done all those things. Love your neighbors yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? And he goes on this story about how somebody cared for somebody else who wasn't part of who they looked like or, or, or who they shared life as or, or who they had everything else in common with. And the whole purpose of that was to tell this guy, who do you think the neighbor was? And he said, what's well, the one who had pity on this? And he says, go and do likewise. Our neighbor isn't the person that lives next door to us necessarily. It might be somebody you've never met. It might be somebody who doesn't look like you. It might be somebody... who doesn't talk like you. It might be somebody who doesn't dress like you, listen to the same music as you do, own a car or drive the same car as you. It might be somebody that you've never met before in your life and you have no idea what to do and that makes you uncomfortable. Well, that's okay because God's gonna help you find a way to transform yourself with the people in this church as we take his love out into the community and love everybody on this earth that he created like Jesus asks us to. Thank you.